It is Friday, January 18th, 2019, and you are tuned into Season 3, Episode 3 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, presented by Hami Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking contract statuses, injury statuses, part one of our feature year, and of course some WWE. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HDMPWPod, Facebook Hitting the Marks, Twitch.tv backslash Hitting the Marks. Hot damn, it's working now. Email us at Hitting the Marks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo. I will be your host for the day, but give it up for my tag team partner, the man who's been requesting his release, the man, the myth, the legend that is the real RBV. Rick, welcome back inside Locker Room Studios. It's me, it's me. It's that honor, the beat of the beat. Rick Vickery back again in the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Jarko, I know here in the mid in the Midwest, we are waiting for White Death Round Two. I, I think you're getting a little bit of it right now. It's on its way to Ohio. But I'll tell you what, man, it is not going to stop this train. Not going to bring me down. Hey, it is a beautiful, beautiful Friday in the world of professional wrestling, especially here on the Hitting Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast. You know, we're all geared up. You know, we've uh, we got a great new partnership with Wow Women of Wrestling. Uh, they got their they got their big debut tonight on uh, XS TV. Uh, I believe that is at what is it at? 10, 10 Eastern, 9 Eastern? Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 p.m. Central. 9 Eastern. Uh, for anyone out there that hasn't hasn't already you know, listened to it, we got two big interviews. We got David McLean. We got uh, Abigail Maverick from WOW. We got those great interviews in the can over on the Podbeam site. You want to check those out before tonight's big show. And then, hey, just on this episode here, we're launching a tremendous new feature. We got the Australian sensation, Craven. Hey, we're talking about his career in, in just jet wrestling in general. I tell you what, when we sat down with him, it was the first time I've had an opportunity to really speak with him. I completely blown away. It was like he has been with us since day one. He was just, he's part of the family. Like he was, uh, you know, right at episode one with us in and along for this crazy journey. Big fan of Cravens. I'm, I'm really enjoying his work. I think this feature is going to be fantastic. For those who don't know what we're talking about, we've been plugging the hell out of it on our Facebook page. Uh, we're doing the Year of Craven. What we've decided to do is, is sit down with one talent, and he is going to come on the show 12 times this year, once a month, and we're just going to kind of follow his travels all the way around the world. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, he absolutely gets around the world. You were uh, talking about the women of WOW, Huckleberry. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to stooge off our first big surprise here on the show today. Not only do we have the interview with Miss Abilene Maverick in the can that you can find at hittingthemarks.podbean.com. Not only do we have the interview with Mr. David McLean in the can, which you can find at hittingthemarks.podbean.com. Over the course of the next month or so, you can be expecting to see or hear, as I should say, Selena Majors. She's going to be joining the show steffi slays she's only 22 she works three freaking jobs two student gigs yeah she's one of the women of wow she's going to be coming to the show uh one of the wow originals jungle girl going all the way back to the original first season of the women of wrestling she's going to be coming to the show as well as sarah wolf aka razor i'm looking forward to having all of those ladies on the show we 
that interview with Miss Maverick went over so well. The people at WoW were very happy with it. I still think it's the best interview I've ever freaking done. I'm really looking forward to that show tonight. Yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting, and I've seen I've seen the previews for it. It looks like they're gonna come out of the gate swinging. It looks like you know they're bringing in Tessa. They're that obviously that big name. Uh, they're going to bring some of, you know, they're tremendous. Just, I don't want to say homegrown, but you know, the ones that are established there, some big names. I think we're going to see, uh, th- this is going to put a new perspective on women's wrestling, I believe. And, and I hope, you know, that anyone that's listening to this, you know, if it's already aired, go back and find it. If, it, if it's beforehand, when you're getting this, make sure you're tuning in. It's, Hey, and you're going to be hearing a lot about wow here on the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast. Shout out to Billy Ray Valentine. Guess he's got access TV for the first time in his life. I'm sure he's sitting around watching all kinds of sixties and seventies concerts on access TV. It's probably the only thing that he's watching at this point. Uh, Huckleberry, before we, uh, we, we, we jump into too much of the contract statuses and all the injuries that are going on inside the world of wrestling. While we were talking to Craven the other day, the conversation that we had off air was almost as interesting as the conversation that we had on air. And one of the things that we do here at the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast, we Huckleberry introduced it. It's the, the fan FQI. You'll hear us talk about the fan quality index. And typically we apply that to a city like Philadelphia or Washington, DC. I gave them a negative 1776. Um, I wanted to talk about WWE fans in general today uh, because there's there's so much going on with everything with AEW, everything going on with MLW, WWE fans, the fan quality index. Rick, there, there there's something going on here, and, and I can't quite put my finger on what is going on with the way the fans are receiving Number one, the product that's going on on television right now, the way that they think professional wrestling works all the way around, such as you have to have a heel authority figure. You know, that that's something that didn't start until the Monday Night Wars. And all of a sudden, there's this, this huge conglomerate of WWE fans that just simply think that the way the product is right now is the way that it's always been and the way that it always should be. And that's just not the case. Well, I think, you know, a lot of it, it's... It's actually it's funny that you threw this on the run here. That's something I, I had to go back and look like. Oh, he threw this on here uh, over on Facebook and a Hameen Media discussion group just this past week. You know, it was something triggered about something with the AEW group because you know they are making a lot of just broad, open-ended statements. And and I guess this is maybe where this was driven. You know, your take on this thing is that everyone is just you know assuming that they know what these statements mean. When again, they're very, they're very broad. They're open-ended. You know, there's a lot of interpretation of wiggle room in there, but fans seem so conditioned to think one way that they're just so damn convinced they're in semen on it that it has to be what they believe is going to happen. And now they're overly judging what, what we don't even know. There, I mean, there's so many different directives you can go at. You know, so many like uh, equal what equal pay means. No, that's you know, it doesn't mean everyone's on a, is signing the same contract. No, that's not what that means there. But you're right, you know, with with this modern WWE fan base, and where would you say the majority of today's fans, when their age group, you know, it, they probably started watching on the back end of Attitude into Ruthless Aggression. Right. So they have seen this recycled, rinse, repeat, uh, almost garbage from WWE, and in their mind, they believe that professional wrestling works that way. So going back, you know. 
I can't remember the exact thread that, that triggered this conversation, but I do. But it was when Cody came out and said, we're not hiring writers. There, there we go. There we go. That is it. Because I immediately, I fired off and then I said, and everyone was like, well, how can you have a wrestling show without writers? And you can't just let the talent just go out there and do whatever. Well, guess what? You know, back in the day, this was my post, you know, back out there, just because you're getting rid of writers, that doesn't mean you don't have creative. Because we know that Tony Khan is in, is in charge of creative control, which is another everyone's jumping off a fucking bridge about because they don't understand really what that means. But, yeah, you don't need television writers or a group like that to handle this. What you have is a booker. And a booker is in a, a position of professional wrestling that is as old as the sport itself. Just in the last, I don't know, what, 20, 25 years, you've been conditioned to believe that every wrestling promotion is is driven by a group of 20 or so television writers sitting around a table. And that is simply not the case. And it was actually Rip Rogers who chimed in and, re- and had to remind everyone, you know, how it was in his day. It was you had a booker who was going to decide who was going to go over and kind of gave you a direction and then would sit down, uh, you know, one Mr. Rip Rogers and... And whoever it might be, uh, Ricky Morton, and say, okay, guys, you guys are going to be working each other. I need you to work a program for the next six weeks as we do this tour through through Georgia and Tennessee. Would you guys you guys plan it out, how you want to do over, what kind of spots, what stories you want to tell in the ring? But, in, but the end game is I need Ricky to be shining every night here. He's, we're gonna, he's going to be moving on in a little bit and moving up the card. Rip, take care of him. They would figure it out themselves. That is, that's how simple it was. And, you know, the thing that's so crazy is you try to explain this to some WWE fans and they just don't understand. How could you do a wrestling show without all of these writers? Well, guys, everything that AEW is saying at this point, you do realize that's exactly how New Japan Pro Wrestling works. It's Gato and Jado. They tell you you're going to be facing you and the two talents get together and they figure out the angle. If you listen to Jericho's podcast from this past week, which was an incredible listen, that's the way things work inside of New Japan. That's why Jericho keeps going back to New Japan because he's enjoying the creative freedom. It's not just whatever Vince says goes. The talent actually gets to be the talent. Right. And, it, you know, it's it's whoever the talent is, if it's one on one, if it's tag team, something like that, you're going to get together. You're going to put your your match together or, you know, ideas for your program going forward. So everyone's kind of in the loop. Then you go tell your agent or producer who's ever seen some other matches to make sure that's, you know, one of the criticisms we regularly have about WWE is it's match to match. It's segment to segment where we're seeing, you know, very basic, simple tactics repeated. So by the time you get to the third match, you're already spent because you've already seen four suicide dives and swantons and super kicks and all that. Then you have your producer's agent there to make sure you're not duplicating that too much throughout the show. You're not ruining those big spots for your main event matches. And then in the case of, you know, kind of what Tony Khan, I, hell, we don't know exactly what he's going to be, but everyone flipping out that he's the head of creative. He doesn't have any experience. You know, to me, under a booker, it just seems like he's going to kind of orchestrate everything make sure you know everything is everything's laid out we're not he's going to oversee to make sure we're not getting that duplication almost uh yeah i hate to use the term secretary but i think you know it's more of what he might be in his role well i think probably the best way that i can think of to explain things is look at the corporate structure okay when you look at corporate america like the position that i work in 
ideas are funneled down the chain. Ideas come from the CEO or in this case, Vince McMahon. And then it is delegated out and you go to these producers and producers are just producing their segments. They're not actually producing the show because Vince already has the show in his mind. So nobody's talking to one another. Whereas in New Japan's case, where Gato says, okay, Kenny Omega, Okada, you two are working together for the next however many weeks. Figure out what you're going to do. Let me know. And it's funneling things back up the food chain to one person who says, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You can't do that. You can't do that because so-and-so is, is also doing that. And it's just the way the funnel works. Well, yeah, and it's like you said, though, I mean, every if these WWE, you know, if, no matter what level of fan you are, you know, we've just been conditioned. You know, you're conditioned that they got to open up with a talk segment to try to set something up or have a match right away, that you got to have evil authority. We never had any of that. You go back to its simplicity. It was just characters with, that with charisma and star power. You had great storylines. And you told stories inside the ring. You didn't need this over-the-top theatrics. You, know, you got people to buy and invest it. And it's, it's just classic storytelling 101. Yeah, like the days of the 15-minute opening promo. That's something that didn't start until the late 90s. And there's, there's a whole generation of fans now that think pro wrestling just can't exist without it. It's got to change. If you're going to change the world, first things first, you've got to re- re-educate the fans. Well, let's let's get back, you know, to the original point here. We're talking about the FQI for your typical run-of-the-mill WWE fan, and I guess I guess what we mean by that is, you know, someone who's aware of the other products but isn't invested in those. Where pretty much all of professional wrestling is the bubble that is the WWE universe. Correct? Is is that what we're kind of? Well, yeah, because there was another uh, post that was made. I, I I'm in a giant group chat with a bunch of Funko collectors from the Hameen Media discussion group. Yeah, we got a group chat for that. And uh, somebody had brought up, I believe it was in there, that, well, if you're a wrestling fan and you don't know the Young Bucks, you must have your head in the sand. And it was like, well, no, not really. When you really look at it, if you take all of the platforms that the Young Bucks perform on and then multiply that by 10, that's the viewership for Monday Night Raw. There's just there's a lot of WWE only fans out there in the world. Well, and I think, too, like when you get in, we were talking about like the group, the circles we run in. There's a good portion of individuals that, yeah, they, they know the names. They know, you know, about young, you know, young bucks, obviously, that, that's going to be more popular, much like your even your WWE smarks. Um, they know things, that, you know, oh, well, you know, New Japan, we know who Okada is, but they don't really know about them. Like, you know, like Lord Voldemort, he who shall not be named. Right. He lives on the East Coast. He's getting buried in snow. He knows who Okada is. I'll bet you he's never seen an Okada match. Well, I think, you know, going back, let's go back uh, to NXT UK takeover. The reaction to Walter. Yep. Afterwards, you know, how many people they had heard of him. They were expecting him to show here, but really had no idea, you know, what he was all about. Even how he looked, you know, when he made it, you know, when he came into the ring. A lot of people were like, well, what's the big deal here? You know, it's it, it was a it's a big deal for NXT UK. And wrestling over there. So let's give them a number, Huckleberry. If you are a WWE only fan, all you watch is the WWE main roster. What is their FQI rating? I'm gonna. I, can I extend that a little bit? I'm gonna say if if you watch 
WWE, let's say 85, 90% of the time, because there's a lot of them that are aware of things and they think they do, but they really don't get onto them until like they get the NXT or something like that. I'm going to actually going to put that fan. You kind of want to look at, you know, how educated they are, how open-minded they are, how maybe the only way I'm going to give them a little bit of a curve in a positive direction is because of their loyalty. How about a 6.5? See, and I, I, I was thinking more on a 100-point scale for this one. It's 50-50, just like their shitty-ass booking. 50-50. Sometimes you get a good WWE fan. Sometimes you get a not-so-good yeah, WWE that's why fan. I was, all right, then I'll sway it to, like, you know, 60, 65 on that thing. Because you know, they are loyal. I, I will give them that, you know. To a they're, fault. They're very, loyal. they're very loyal to their brand, even though, you know, sometimes they don't realize what they're watching is pure garbage just because they've been conditioned conditioned to, to see it that way, to consume it that way. So let's go ahead. Let's get some contract status updates here because, Rick, I, <laughs> I started writing this thing out and I was like, oh, yeah, and, and we got to talk about this person. Oh, yeah, and that person. Oh, yeah, and that person. It's like the biggest story of 2019 is going to be contract status. Well, I was going to say, everyone always wants an offseason for professional wrestling. This feels like an offseason for any other major sport. Everybody, you got the shakers, the movers, everyone's on the go. Everybody, you know, they want off of their team. They see the grass is greener. I, there's a, you know, and it's just not WWE. It, it's all over the world of professional wrestling. It is. It's all over the world with AEW creeping on to come up. Uh, first thing that I guess we got to talk about is Triple H. Yeah. And, and I don't mean Triple H's contract status. There is a report out there, Huckleberry, that Triple H is ready to go double or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't mean May 25th in Las Vegas, Nevada at the MGM Grand. I mean, if you bring me a contract offer that says Ring of Honor is offering you $155,000 for a year, WWE will not only match that offer, they will double it if you sign right here, right now. Wow. What do you think of that for a, a marketing tactic? for signing some new talent. Are you really buying into that? I, you know, when we, when we, we've been talking for the better part of a year, when you have fuck you money, you use it. Well, if you've got right now and you see, and it's just not, you know, everyone's expecting you hear so much hype around AEW who wants to go there. These releases are people that want to get on board with that program there. You know, we're seeing ring of honor making a bunch of big moves right now. Yeah. Ring of honor is absolutely moving and shaking. And there's a couple more names on here when it comes to ROH that we're going to talk about. Well, and I, you know, I'm saying, you know, ring of honor is making some moves. MLW is trying to make some play here. They're kind of, you know, that they're that little dog in the fight. You know, they're just looking for people that, that want to, you know, be a, really a part of help grow that brand. I think here soon we're going to see new Japan. Um, they're going to start in, they're going to get into this game a little bit. They're letting things settle down here in the new year. Uh, looking forward to, you know, what's come up. A lot of their deals still at the end of the month. Right. So I think correct in, in the next couple of weeks in the early February, we're really going to see, um, really going to see some developments happening there. So I think, you know, a, a lot with WWE is this more of a, they, they seriously feel that there's a threat or they just want to kind of be active in this game right now uh, is to see what, who, who they can really lock down to just take away from that market. And that maybe that they just don't care all that much. You know, it's, that's the thing. It almost feels like that's what they're doing. Like they're, they're, they're going out and kind of pulling the Chicago bears here. I mean, yeah, 
it'll, it'd be nice to have Khalil Mack, but we're signing him more so to make sure the Packers don't. Well, it, this kind of reminds me. Let's go back. You know, a lot of fans don't realize this. You know, back in when WCW was making their moves, they had they had prop dozens of talents under contract that we had no idea. They never made television. They never even had plans creatively for them. They had no intention of bringing them in, never to go to house shows or go, you know, work anything. And it was a simple fact of we would rather pay you to sit at home than allow anyone else, right? You know, specifically then WWE to utilize you. Yep. One of the names that immediately pops into my mind, uh, actually, I was going through some YouTube videos and just happened to just randomly play was a an interview with uh, with Lonnie Popo. And he was talking about a lot of people don't know this. He made a lot of money from WCW because when Randy was there, he convinced him, signed my brother, uh, Bischoff obliged. They gave him a pretty nice payday and he never stepped except for I, I don't even know if even signing the contract. It might have been over fax. I don't know if he was ever even on their property, never at a vent or anything, collected a fat check just to make sure that WWE had no chance at the play. Knowing Bischoff, it was probably done over FedEx. Uh, one of the other things that we we discussed with Craven that I think kind of ties into this are the odds of making it to the WWE. And, and this was a big point that we talked about off air, and I thought it was just a fantastic conversation because he was talking about how hard it is to actually get to the WWE. Now, Sasha Banks got her big mouth open the other day and made the comment that she was better than half of the men's roster. So I actually went through the men's roster the other day. Rick, there's 91 current active men on the WWE roster. 91. Compare that to the NFL. There is currently 1,664 players inside of the NFL. 52-man roster, 32 teams. It's way harder to get into the WWE than it is to even make it inside of the NFL. And the NFL guys, they're getting paid. Whereas a lot of these WWE talents are making far less than what the league minimum would be in the NFL. Yeah, I, when I saw this on the run, I was thinking like, I was like, didn't we talk about this with Craven? And it was like, oh, wait, it, it was part of that great conversation where we didn't have the record going. Like, as you said, at the top of the show, I mean, we probably could have had a whole nother two segments with the, just a conversation that the three of us had. We, we finished talking. I stopped the recording and then we proceeded to talk for like another hour. Well, and it was when you kind of broke it down like that, and you were the one that pulled out the numbers. There's always the numbers man here. When you kind of look at it in that context, in that bubble, to see, you know, everyone always talks about how, you know, how almost it's damn near impossible to make it as a professional athlete. And when you see that on that kind of level, the, the grandest stage, and you compare that to professional wrestling, it, it kind of blows you away a little bit. It really now, does. Now, granted, you know, granted, you know, the pool for the NFL, there's a lot more dreamers and seekers out there for professional football than there is professional wrestling. But still, when you get down to it, you know, those individuals that, that are thriving to reach, you know, that level of success in a profession. I mean, those are drastic numbers. Well, but the, the problem becomes people like Gronk, Rob Gronkowski of the new England Patriots, who is a very well-documented pro wrestling fan. Obviously he's very good friends with Mojo. We saw him at WrestleMania a couple of years ago, came in, did that one spot. 
Gronk is the kind of guy who should have been a professional wrestler. But instead, he ended up playing NFL football because that's where all the money was. You've got somebody like Braun Strowman. I looked it up the other day. Braun Strowman's making $350,000 a year. Compare that to whatever Rob Gronkowski is making, which is literally in the tens of millions of dollars a year. It's no wonder that we're getting former NFL football players that after their career is over, after all the injuries have beat them up, that's when they're coming to pro wrestling because they've already went and made their money. Yeah, and we were talking about Gronk, you know, it's just not the possibility of someone, you know, who's like on the back end of like a football or, or an NBA career. You know, now we're seeing this almost explosion of talents from combat sports, you know, MMA, especially, you know, especially the UFC that are showing interest in, in making that jump into the world of professional wrestling. And I think, you know, what, what they're seeing is, hey, they've already got they've got those paydays from those sports. It's already taken the wear and tear on their body. So they think, you know, they can kind of just kind of shift that shift that momentum into the world of professional wrestling. And, and let's be honest, you know, it, on, you know, on the surface, when we say they think it's going to be a lot easier on their body. I mean, if they had to start from the bottom up, no, it's most certainly not going to be. But they position themselves so they're going to come in on that upper echelon. You know, they're not going to be they're not going to be paying you know those dues that are so important you know to those inside the business and the fans like that. You know, when you look at Rhonda coming in, you know, she and she's actually she's probably one of the more progressive ones. She she wanted to you know to say, hey, I am coming in full time. She is on the road. Well, let's be honest, you know, she she isn't out. She didn't have to go. You know, through the years of learning, taking those hard bumps, you know, struggling her way up the chain. She can't she comes in at a multi-million dollar contract. You know, she isn't the, the Ruby Riot working below almost minimum there, you know, trying to climb that ladder of success in WWE. Like Craven said, working the independent scene for a handshake and a hot dog. Uh, yeah. You know, where he started from and, and how grateful he was for those early experiences to where he is now. Now, not to stooge off too much, you know, I want everyone to, you know, be able to soak in that tremendous listen with him. Um, but but these people coming in from the outside in today's world, you know, they're getting set up into that cushy spot. Well, he, he, but let's even go, you know, back in the day, though, you know, some of the, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, he he wanted to play football, you know, The Rock. He wanted to play football. And the Rock was it was probably he was a little bit different different because essentially they knew when he came in, it wasn't long before he was WWE bound. He, he spent very little time on the Indies. But you know, but like a Stone Cold. Now yeah. all the years that he spent, you know, going through Texas and the southern ta- territories to to WCW to get to get his opportunity in, in WWE and the, the you know, the true fame and fortune that almost wasn't there. Uh Almost anyone of a big name, you know, Roman Reigns. Well, again, you know, he he was he didn't even have to do any time. He shot he thought shot it right into their product. But but they don't have to kind of cut their teeth. They're coming in and it's a nice spot for them. Baron Corbin. There's a guy who played in the NFL was actually pretty decent. Injuries shortened his career and now he's the constipated constable. General elect fuckface. Well, and, you know, it's a it's a good it's a good grooming ground or a, a recruiting area for them. I mean, Absolutely. you've got you got people that are used to taking care of their bodies in a certain way. They have to physique the look. You obviously know they're athletic. You know, and once you've got that core base, it's then can you teach the other tangibles or you know do they even possess them that you need to you know correlate that into the world of sports entertainment? 
Yeah. Hey, I did, did you have a chance to listen to the Wednesday locker room yet? Oh yeah. Uh, I tell you what, it was pretty. It was a pretty good take where Bello had mentioned now that Vince, in his own sick way, uh, that he is manipulating these relationships so that he can breed his own race of super wrestlers going forward. We've got another group of super wrestlers on the way. We've got a big marriage that we'll talk about here in, a, in just a little bit. Uh, as far as the talents that are out there and what's going on, I guess, Huckleberry, the place to start. Uh, yes, the former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, the best bout machine, Kenny Omega. Everybody's wondering, where's Kenny going to go? What's Kenny going to do? Well, we finally had an appearance from Kenny Omega the other day, in our case, at uh, the Tokyo Sports Awards Show Ceremony. And man, I tell you what, looking at that stage, holy cow, the collection of talent that was on that stage. When you're seeing guys like Okada and Naito and Omega and Tanahashi and Marufuji and then all the Joshis from stardom. Man, that was quite a collection of talent. Uh, Chris Charlton on Twitter. If you're not following him, you can find him at Reason NJP. Uh, he is probably the best follow that I have on Twitter. Of course, he's now been doing some commentary there for New Japan as well. He wrote a book called Lion's Pride that documents the entire history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. That is fantastic. Uh, he put this up uh, from a quote from Kenny. He says, Kenny said that he wouldn't stand on the Tokyo sports stage next year, that they would still be putting on match of the year performances, but on a larger international platform. He also addressed AEW a little bit. And he said, I wish those guys the best. Obviously I'm very good friends with all of them. So I can't help, but be pulling for the promotion. Absolutely no indication that he is leaning towards AEW. Uh, Rick, I don't think Kenny's going anywhere. I think he's going to stay in new Japan pro wrestling. I know you've kind of been on this thing here. You've been on this kick, you know, everyone, I think it's just, you know, everyone's so excited we go back talking about the FQI, you know, with the WWE fans and that, you know, for them. And that is, you know, it is the grandest stage in the world is WWE. So many people are excited for that possibility. So many people are excited for, for all elite and, you know, him reuniting or, you know, just following along with, with his brothers and all that, that they kind of forget, you know, the, where he feels the most comfortable, where he's had the success, where they take care of him is new Japan. And where Ibushi is. I think that absolutely plays a part into it. Well, and I, I want to, you know, as I was thinking about how, you know, I wanted to approach this topic. Let's look at a bigger picture of Kenny Omega and everything that we've seen. You know, the Bucks have always been, they, they have been the driving force behind that merch. You know, they, they've always kind of been that group that has seen where wrestling could evolve and eventually move to from day one. And then you, you bring in uh, such a tremendous mind, an entrepreneur, uh, someone who's so aggressive and driven like a Cody Rhodes. And it, it almost seemed like, you know, that Cody and, and his passion and his intelligence and the talents that he that he provides, it seemed to take the Bucks to that next level. You know, that drive that they have is incredible. Now, Kenny, he's 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 close with them. You know, he's a very good friend. He's a brother of theirs. But to me, Kenny Omega, he seems he, he's a different beast. He has a different makeup. You know, when we talk about the best bout machine, that is Kenny Omega. It's, he, he just wants to be a professional wrestler and be the absolute best professional wrestler that he can be. And, and if that means that it elevates him to a point where he's regarded as the best in the world, which it has, then that's him. That's his drive. That's his desire. 
it all in. He put over there, you know, is is they were doing their encore, encore taking their bows. You know, it, he put over. It, this is those guys, man. I've just been along for the ride, and I wanted to come here and just give the best performance that I possibly could for for you and for you fans. That's Kenny's role. He he isn't so much even into where you know you've got maybe someone in the sidecar like a Jericho who sees the potential business wise that wants to help drive that. I don't think that's Kenny Omega at all. He is he is a true true through and through professional wrestler. He, he personality wise, he reminds you a lot of Daniel Bryan. He's a guy who loves professional wrestling through and through, and he just wants to wrestle. He doesn't necessarily care where it is, but I think one of the best. I'm sorry, cut you off there, Jars, but as on Daniel Bryan, one of the best quotes, you know, he said plenty of times, you know, ultimately his dream at one point, he didn't think about WWE because he just loved being an independent wrestler and he loved traveling the world and he loved having fun and entertaining in the ring. And it wasn't until he realized I need a major payday to take care of myself and a potential family that he considered WWE. I think the thing, what you brought up with Cody absolutely nails it. I think Jericho absolutely nailed it on his podcast as well when he said that goals change, plans change, philosophies change. Kenny and the Bucks set out to change the world. And I think in Kenny's mind, that meant what happens between the ropes. He wanted to change the philosophy of professional wrestling. That's why we heard all this talk about ideologies and philosophies in the match leading up to Tanahashi. When Cody came in, I think the Bucks realized their idea of change the world is a promotion by the boys for the boys. Not necessarily what's going on in the ring. They have the same objective, but two completely different ideologies of what change the world means. When it goes back, you know, I can't remember it was over in the locker room or here on the Hitting March Pro Wrestling Podcast when we were talking about, you know, maybe if AEW and, you know, the odds in any business for success, you know, after one year to five years, it's very minimal. It's hard to to sustain that and keep going forward, especially on the level, you know, that AEW is shooting for. Let's say they are gone in five years. But if they could force the hand of other promotions, you know, especially WWE, to where we do see them offering, you know, certain healthcare packages, or you do see payment structures changing, or or how that they are overall maybe just treating the fans or their talents. Or just their business, regular business practices. If AEW can force the hand of other promotions, then in a sense, it was a success. Kenny Omega also strikes me as a person who really wants to stay in Japan. Like he, he very much like me has ingrained himself into that Japanese culture so deeply that he is actually a dual citizen in Canada and Japan. Kenny Omega loves Japan. I don't think he wants to move to the States. And I think overall, you know, a lot of people are kind of like, well, I mean, how could you pass up an opportunity like this? You know, how could you not want to be on board? You know, that's fine. And there's all sorts of beings. They all have different drive. You need, you know, those worker, those worker bees. And that's to a sense what, what Kenny Omega is. And he is damn good at it. He's the best about B. Paul Heyman would be proud. And when, you know what I'd love to see, you know, I, there, we had some talks where maybe there might, some things might be sour between AEW and new Japan. 
uh, maybe a little grayer there with Ring of Honor in there. But I love it. Hey, if Kenny wants to stay in New Japan, I think that is tremendous. I, I think they actually New Japan desperately needs him at this point. As we've been regularly talking about, they've kind of seemed to be forced to elevate people that should be mid-card. At this point in their career, they had to put them on that fast pass to, to the main event just so that they had some fresh programs going on. But and you, you need Kenny there, but I'd love to see maybe down the line where they could get some kind of working relationship where Kenny could come over and do some of the big shows with AEW to, to kind of give them that shine. We'll talk about that here in just a few minutes as well. Let's jump to the WWE, the revival. Uh, there's this crazy story, Rick, and as from what I've been able to piece together, this is what happened. All right, so Monday night on Raw, you had the revival taking on Lucha House Party. And in the middle of the match, they cut away to interview people like Kurt Hawkins and Apollo Crews who are waiting outside of Vince McMahon's office to try to get a shot at Brock Lesnar. Now, after the match, the Revival go backstage, and like this entire millennial generation, the first thing they do is jump on their phones to watch back the match and see what people are saying about the match, and they saw that they cut away from the match, and the Revival were fucking pissed and went up and quit still in their ring gear. That is the story that is circulating right now. Evidently, there has been a meeting between both parties. Scott Dawson's dad takes to Twitter and notes that the Revival have been asked to wait three months before being granted their release. If they're still unhappy with their position in the company at that time, they will be granted their release. Uh, Rick, what in the hell do you make of all this? And do you really think WWE can recover or revive the revival in three well, months? Well, first of all, you know, the revival should probably check themselves here a little bit because, you know, in in five, ten years time, we're going to look back at this moment as one of the, the grandest moments in all of just not WWE history, but professional wrestling history. Because, you know, why they had a match going on on that that picture in picture. We are going to remember this forever is the grand raw debut of EC3. Yeah, I mean, that. what are they doing? But, but to the point here, come on, Revival, are you really surprised? They've been running you out there against Lucha House Party. At least in the last eight weeks, we've seen this match five times. And then the other times we've seen you, it's just in nonsense. Uh, you're trying for championship opportunity or you're back and forth with uh, Team Nambla. Now, I mean, we're just getting a run around here in this division. And I, like I saw someone like, oh, they, but they just went and shot off their mouse. There goes their push. What push? I mean, that whole that whole division is in. They're shambles. a tag team. There is no push. Right. They, they run. They run every one of them out there. I mean, what, I mean, I guess what? The B team's now going to slide into their spot where they're getting embarrassed by the Lucha House Party every week. I mean, what what kind of push is this? I get, yeah, you're on TV, you're getting exposure, but at, at what point is? Is the back effect just, you know, is it too negative on you? Yeah. And, and the other thing we're seeing a lot of this now because AEW is out there and they're signing people to contracts. All of a sudden you're hearing a whole lot of talent running their mouths that what there's no way that the revival would have said this six months ago. Well, I think yeah, and I will say AEW was a game changer. It has, it's created this buzz. But going back to it, hey, I think, you know, revival could go thrive in Ring of Honor. Absolutely, they could. They'd kill it in ROH or, or in New Japan. 
Right. You know, well, look at that. If you could go sign a New Japan and Ring of Honor contract, could you still have working agreements there? Oh, you know, man. if you if I, they could each if they could each go get around that 150, 200,000 from Ring of Honor uh, and then go, you know, go partner that with a deal from New Japan or maybe something in Mexico, something, you know, something along those lines or go work some MLW for some dates. I mean, I think right now it's just there's so much excitement around all elite wrestling. But just not the promotion itself. Right now, they have put the explanation point on you don't need WWE right now. You you can you can survive. You can swim without without those big three letters. I'm sitting here thinking of dream matches for the revival. Of course, the match that everybody immediately goes to is the Young Bucks. Because they, they've talked so much smack and they're two of the best teams in the world. But man, you think about like the revival against SCU, revival against the Lucha Bros versus G.O.D. versus Evil and Sonata. And then the match that I almost popped myself as you were sitting there talking that I that came to mind. Zack Sabre Jr. and Minoru Suzuki versus Dash and Dawson. Well, you can go to any promotion, man. I love the same against the Briscoes. Oh, shit, yes. My I, I, God. I thought, that's, I thought that's where you were going to go there when you said you start popping about a, a program uh, going through. I would love to see the revival of the Briscoes. You talk about a program that could tear the house down. That would be – I mean, you could run it for a year, and it would be a hot program. If you're a tag team, there's no way I'm going to the WWE. And, I, and you got to love this, no pun intended, revival of tag team wrestling that we're seeing in these other promotions. I mean, why the hell – you know, outside of – you know, you're guaranteed that, that tremendous payday, that, that safety net of WWE. It's the other perks. The advantages are going there are they're, they're dwindling. They're shrinking. Villain Enterprises versus the revival. PCO versus the revival. Oh, my God. That'd oh, be fun. Man, it, oh, I would love that. Would absolutely love that. I mean, it, you got to think, you know, the possibilities for these guys outside of wwe wow there yeah there's a lot of matches yeah, out there for yeah, the revival it is, it is kind of interesting too uh, just another little quick note on revival uh our good friend jamie greer over at last word on pro wrestling he did a little a little uh digging and found out that wwe had not trademarked the revival uh, they just have their individual names uh so it looks like it looks like they might have filed for a trademark on it themselves. Uh, they do have the trademark for hashtag ftr very nice. See, I think I would go with that just for marketing purposes out on the indies. Or, or as I suggested over on Facebook in a homie media discussion group, I would, if I was them and I couldn't use either one of those, I would just call myself the released. Do uh, do the Young Bucks get 10% if they go with hashtag FTR? <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. Uh, another WWE talent that has requested their release, and this one has been confirmed, Mike and Maria Kanellis have requested their release from the WWE. Reports also confirm that that request has been denied. Uh, evidently, going all the way back to her first run, Maria Kanellis is kind of known as a pain in the ass around WWE. Uh, Mike Bennett, obviously, has been kind of a pain in the ass inside of the WWE. Uh, nope, you can go the Neville route. You ain't got to come to work on Monday, but we're not going to release you. That's that's what I got from that. I think what's interesting is we're seeing some of the rumors twist from this story that they only worked their their return itself was a work. 
they they knew that Mike needed serious help. And the only way that they were going to get it within this business is if they could have got those WWE contracts and, and used the, the, the I can't even believe I'm going to say this, the goodwill towards talent from WWE to, to get him into a rehab facility. Uh, he didn't go to rehab. He was on the road with Maria the entire time. Per Maria Canellis, Mike never went to rehab. That she is the one that walked him through rehab on the road. Okay, but I'm still with that, though. They're collecting a fucking check from WWE. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She seems incredibly controlling to me, and he seems incredibly like a cuck. I was going to go with conniving. Yeah, I could, you know, I could get behind that, too. Uh, what If you're Mike Kanellis, where do you want to go? I mean, obviously, you want to go to AEW, but what's the best fit for Mike Kanellis? Does he go back to Impact and bring back the whole miracle thing? Personally, I think Mike Kanellis should go back to ROH. That's, I'm with you on that. You know, I think it, he, you know, he immediately becomes a major player again in Ring of Honor. He's got the history there, especially with the position that Taven is now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, where he could the come current in. of the kingdom. Absolutely. That's, that was kind of my thought, too. Uh, it, you know, if, where he tries to, you know, where you have Canellis kind of show back up or whatever he wants to go by there. But, you know, to reclaim the kingdom. Oh, I like that. I do like that. It, I think, you know, it's a program that writes itself, but I, I'm still not, you know, again, everyone's just kind of just jumping to the conclusions that, that they want to go to, to all lead or to ring of honor. I think maybe they just might be ready to get out of the business. You know, that's where they were leaning before they went to WWE. So I think, you know, they needed that payday. Uh, and then however, they were going to go about getting him clean. She had just graduated. You know, I can't remember what her degree was in, but it, she was ready to move away from professional wrestling and, you know, just kind of redirect her, 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 her professional life. Maybe that's what they're gearing towards. They got him clean. He's in the he's the best that he has ever been in his life, uh, you know, mentally, physically and all that. And maybe they're just ready to put professional wrestling behind that. That's absolutely possible as well. Uh, let's talk about something even more com- controversial than working the WWE to get your husband clean, because this story is got legs and it's going to be a fascinating one to follow. And I'm talking about Roosh. Of course, Roosh now under exclusive contract in the United States with Ring of Honor. But Rick, this thing is getting real interesting and it's getting real interesting real fast. Court Bauer takes to Twitter because I love Court Bauer on Twitter. He pulls no punches. This is a match, an organization Roosh wanted to be a part of, but sometimes politics get in the way. And that's what this has come down to. Politics. So people started wondering what in the hell is going on. Well, according to The Observer, Roosh is still under contract with CMLL until 2020, thus leaving the final decision not with Roosh, but with the owner of CMLL, Paco Alonso. And due to the working relationship that CMLL has with ROH and New Japan, Alonzo was forced to pull the plug. So this is a one-year deal with Ring of Honor. The big match, Roosh versus LA Park, Mania Weekend, is off. He is being replaced by Pentagon Jr. instead. Rick, there's a whole lot to unpack here, and I can't wait to see how this situation unfolds. I think we don't... 
in about a year's time when we're sitting around talking some professional wrestling, one of the great feuds of 2019 that we're going to be discussing is MLW and Ring of Honor. Because this isn't the first time that the court has publicly kind of aired out the laundry between these two promotions. And it's going back just a couple of weeks ago where, you know, he took two and he said, hey, Ring of Honor's playing a little dirty. They're trying to poach my talent. And my talent's turning. They, they might have gotten a few, but most of them are turning them down. They, they want to be a part of Major League Wrestling. People will fear us for the next big thing. He's taking some direct shots here at, at Ring of Honor. People love a promotion war. <laughs> We've got one here. We've, we've certainly got one. Wow. Uh, I don't even know where to begin with this story. I'm not even sure that I necessarily want to. Rick, this, this contract is being reported at $155,000 for a year. I mean, I guarantee you Roosh could go and get a $500,000 contract at the WWE right now. Right. And, and I'd be really interested to see what, you know, what the CML side of this deal is worth. You know, and, yeah. and then what, what was he getting from MLW as well? You know, right. Where do these where are these figures lining up? I, I, I have a feeling that over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to find out because uh, I Court is not the kind of guy to stop airing dirty laundry in public. It's one of the things that I love about Court Bauer. Do you think? I mean, is that? I mean, that has to be his. his his go-to card right now because he knows when it comes to the finances, he's not, he is the low man on the totem pole for all of these promotions, but trying, you know, to fight for positioning, uh, especially on that, you know, that second tier from WWE, he, he has got to scratch and claw with everything he's got to let it be known, you know, still as he's presenting it, I'm still the hot place to work. People want to come work for me. I'm just getting squeezed out because I don't have the deep pockets and I don't have these partnerships where other promotions are kind of bullying up on me. You know, we hear all the time about AAA and how they treat their talent. Talking about uh, like what's going on with Eva Lee's out there with Lucha Underground. What do you think of that story? Eva Lee's claiming that she's being held hostage by Lucha Underground. Joey Ryan takes to Twitter and basically says the same exact thing trying to get out of these triple a contracts that are, I think they still have like two years left on them. Well, I guess what? Sorry about your damn luck. Because when you start dealing with these Mexican promotions, you can come, you can come to the, the American audience or the European audience and cry all you want and get the sympathy for, you know, this audience here, we're, we're so sympathetic, you know, towards towards the talent. You know, we want the best for them. Those promotions down there, they don't give a fuck. Yeah, straight up. Zero they fucks. A, they don't give a flying fuck what you say. It is business as usual for them. And they could give a shit less if, if they upset a couple of American fans. Yeah, Paco and Dorian do not give a shit about your feelings. Uh, let's talk a little bit about AEW company that does give a shit about your feelings. Uh, we got a new signing Huckleberry. We got, we got a, a new signing on the way to AEW. Ladies and gentlemen, his name is jungle boy. What do you think of this signing? Any relation to jungle girl? Uh, I, I, it's gotta be like a mom, right? I thought maybe at least like a distant cousin or something. Well, I don't know about that, but I do know one person that he's related to, and that is his father. His father's name is Luke Perry. (laughs) What do you think of this, man? Luke Perry's kid in the wrestling business. 
he's got a good look. He's actually not too bad for being in the ring a very, very short period of time at this point. Alongside Maxwell Jacob Friedman, I think this is a really good signing, if nothing else, because you're going to have to have guys for people like Cody to beat once in a while. I'm trying to I'm trying to do the math here. Dylan was in high school in the 90s. So it was Jungle Boy like a high school baby? Yeah, had to have been. Brenda. Brenda, what are you doing, Brenda? Maybe that was the cover up. You know, they had to drop the baby off in the jungle. Oh. So they wouldn't get the backlash of, you know, all the ritzy people there in 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 Beverly Hills, man. But yeah, yeah, like you said, man, he's got a good look. He's, he's got like a fun little style. I think he's going to fit in pretty well with uh, with the vision, you know, especially the Bucks probably have. I'm totally rocking out to this theme song, Huckleberry. This is one of my favorite TV theme songs in history. This song kicks ass. Okay, well, maybe that's going a bit far. Let's talk about a couple of the other contracts that we've gotten a little bit of information on here. Uh, Joey Janela. And MJF going to be allowed to work independent dates still. Janela is going to be allowed to do his spring break. But Rick, the one that I thought was very, very intriguing here, MJF is going to be allowed to still do MLW. How big would a partnership between AEW and MLW be as... Well, I'm saying that, as he's sitting there rubbing his eyes Russo style, I'm saying that as we're seeing companies like CMLL and Ring of Honor and New Japan all team up to take talent from MLW. Wouldn't it be nice for MLW to have another company, kind of, that they have a working relationship with? I I guess, you know, with the direction everything's going, you know, we've got New Japan, Ring of Honor, you got Ring of Honor, NWA. You got even WWE, you know, working with like working with like Evolve and, and, and Progress, Progress. Over in the UK and everyone just kind of pairing up to the point, man. I'm almost I'm over it. Oh, I, I'm with you, but man, the, the one that I'm really getting worried about at this point, you know, we talked about what it, the the impact, par- pardon the pun, was going to be on companies like Impact Wrestling, what it was going to be like on Ring of Honor, New Japan. We're seeing a lot of these companies team up, and MLW's on the outside kind of looking in. I'm afraid MLW might be the company that's in some real trouble here. And I really like MLW. I don't want them to be in trouble. Oh, you know, they're one of the hottest promotions, uh, such a great product, you know, great storyline, great character, great in-ring action, kind of a little bit of, you know, of what all wrestling fans want. There's something there for everyone. But, uh, but again, I guess it's, and I understand where the positive is, you know, you, when you look at somebody like Arush for Ring of Honor, they're only able to do that at that 155 because he can count on, you know, his home promotion money. Yes. Or, you know, or we know when they're they're partnering with New Japan, they can bring in some of these some of these great talents because they're relying on that new Japan money or, you know, partially so that they can live, you know, they're making livable wages. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that side of it. But as we're watching this thing, I wish they would come up with different ways. Maybe where they're, they're just in cycles. I just feel like I'm being overexposed. Yeah, no, I and, get it. And especially, you know, when new Japan talent comes over to work ring of honor, it's just, it, it's got to the point where there's no more, there's no more shine or pizzazz on the novelty match. They're, they're not really running so fluent with what the storylines are in New Japan. We're always getting like two versions of talents at times. 
Uh, you know, like look at look at the Bucks when they were working both consistently. They were two very different sets of young Bucks when what they were doing in ROH and what they were doing in New Japan. Well, yeah, you go back over a year ago when I meet. You know, I was one of those people. Where I was I, I wasn't as in tune. Yes, I of course knew who the Bucks were, and I knew their American, their Western work. But it wasn't until I really got involved in what they were doing in Japan that I understood who really who these guys are. You know, they just weren't this you know over the top hype marketing machine, which which I gave credit to. I thought it was genius. I thought they were taking care of themselves. And that's the main thing. This is a job. It's a business. That's number one. But you go see what they're doing in Japan. It's like, holy shit. These guys truly are some of the best workers, tag team workers in the world. And you didn't see that over there. Just recently, you know, Ring of Honor, I know it hasn't aired, but it's not a spoiler. Ring of Honor is running it everywhere. We got this lifeblood. They, they got, they, hell, they, their Facebook ran a premiere yesterday. That's where I watched it at. You got juice out there cutting this promo. Where the hell is this United States championship? Yeah, that, know, that, that was the big thing I took away from it, too, you know, it's as I was those watching little, it. It's those little subtleties. If, if you're going to work together like that, then then your bookers, your writers, how, however your promotion is working, I, I need you to be a little more cohesive in, in that area. Because now, you know, you go with somebody like the Lucha Brothers. Shit, I feel like I see them. I can go search for a new match every day of the week, and I see them for a different promotion. Yeah. Pentagon and Phoenix, especially those guys are really oversaturated right now. And I, and I feel like in working all these different promotions, they're not working any of the promotions because the storylines really suffer with them working at all these different promotions are more so brought in as one-off spectacles. And there's never any real creative program to get involved in. Right. And, and it's, it's hard to really invest. Cody Rhodes is a perfect example of this. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, if you got, I mean, this guy had, he was working a different thing on each continent and you're watching it nonstop and it's, you don't know what Cody to get invested in. And it goes back to sure. The matches are always great. They're always entertaining, but they're not truly going to that next level unless you can invest in them. And if you are constantly flipping the coin on what that character is, the viewer, the fan, the enthusiast, isn't able to buy into that. Why was Kenny Omega's title reign so bad? Because all he did was work with his friends because they were the only people that they would involve themselves in the creative with, you know, like that Cody and Kenny match. That was probably the best match of Kenny's entire reign. Well, no, the Ishii match. The Ishii match, that was definitely the best match. And, and, I th- and I think, you know, really looking at it, as we're talking about, you know, working with your friends and th- just the repeated styles over and over, that's actually going to be a huge obstacle for all elite wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right right now we have that novelty, that, that special feeling of this is new, obviously the change the world motto, everyone's kind of buying into that. When we settle into the product, into the programming, they're going to really have to shift gears. You know, where they can pull away. I mean, obviously, we're, we are in an age where we know there's a business side of this thing and the showbiz, you know, the, the on-screen entertainment. But they're going to have to pull back a little bit because they're a little heavy on that. You know, letting us know, you know, about their brotherhood. And now we know all their management roles. It's In this day and age, it's going to be really hard to separate that from the on, on-air personas. So let's talk about Jericho. No, not that music. The other music. Much better. Y2J is dead, according to Chris Jericho. He he is not that person anymore. Uh, So from now on, it's Judas all the time. Uh, 
Chris Jericho said something very, very interesting on his podcast the other day. Well, he said a lot of very, very interesting things, but there was one thing that really stood out to me, Rick. Uh, evidently, Jericho's new contract is exclusive, with the exception of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Jericho is still going to be allowed to work New Japan. Uh, maybe this New Japan partnership isn't entirely dead as of yet. I know it's Jericho, and I know that he gets in extenuating circumstances because he's Chris Jericho. But if, they, if they're going to exchange talent there, this is why I'm saying I think Kenny's going to stay in New Japan. And it goes back to what I was saying. It'd be nice to have that option for... You know the big annual shows if that if that be an all-in or an all-out or whatever it might be that you could see him come over uh, and work some matches and hopefully defend one of you know the new japan championships or something along those lines and you could see the bucks and cody go over to new japan for events like wrestle kingdom or tag league g1 you know at least do, have do Go ahead. Do you think there's a possibility, maybe? And I want to. This is a question I want to ask you because I think you're going to have a lot more insight than you know. Obviously, me, but many, many, many people out there. Could it be in those talks? And we don't know a lot of what went south in those talks. Could it be that maybe New Japan is waiting to to let All Elite prove themselves? I mean, you don't want to just sweep under the rug a, a, a long lasting relationship with Ring of Honor. For something that essentially is is hype right now, it's only on paper. It's it's in the minds of these individuals. Until it becomes a reality, then would they start taking it more serious? What I think is going on, honestly, is Ring of Honor. As much as we heard about Roosh going to ROH because CMLL flexed a little bit of muscle. I'm wondering if the New Japan ROH AEW thing is ROH is still really kind of butthurt about the AEW thing because they feel like they were a much bigger part of All In than what they were given credit for. And ROH doesn't want to work with AEW. And as we know, the Japanese are very much about honoring tradition, honoring business deals. And if ROH says that we're not working with AEW, then we're not working with AEW. Hint, hint, wink, wink. We would really like to work with you, but we've got this big thing going on at Madison Square Garden, and now is not really the time. And that's what I'm wondering, you know, kind of. And, if, and I understand if you're Ring of Honor, you know, you've, you've got to feel slighted. Oh, I absolutely agree because with going, Ring of Honor. I mean, knowing what I know, I absolutely understand where Ring of Honor is hurt by this entire thing. Well, going into All In, you know, here on the Hitting March Pro Wrestling Podcast, we were the only ones, you know, not maybe the only ones, but one of the few that were out there reporting the truce of this matter, that Ring of Honor was a serious driving force. Uh, they And they kind of said, hey, we're going to step back, man. Anything you need, though, we got you. Because, you know, the goal of this thing, the marketing genius behind it is it's the boys putting together a show and proving the naysayers wrong here. But they quietly sat back. And you got to feel that they thought at some point this is going to be a bigger payoff for them, for their promotion. And ultimately what they got was kind of, uh, you know what? Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot. But a big fuck you. We're going on and we're becoming competition. Well, you know, uh, it's unfortunate because I feel like Ring of Honor is kind of stuck in the middle of the entire thing uh, because the, I think the real issue is not between AEW and ROH. 
I think a very big thing that is being lost in this entire narrative and this entire story, if there's one thing that happens, none of this happens. If that deal goes through with Sinclair trying to buy WGN, AEW does not happen. That's where the relationship between the elite and Ring of Honor started going south when All All In Zero Hour was still on WGN. Because I think the elite kind of went around and used a back door and kind of came in that way. And Sinclair was pissed. And so then Sinclair's not making big offers to retain the talent and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when we're talking about just, you know, hoping you survive and hang on with MLW, truly the promotion in that position, it's, it's has, you know, they're, they're trying to, they're, they're trying to protect themselves from all sides here as ring of honor. Yeah. You got the parent company who let's, let's not kid ourselves. You know, Ring of Honor's around because it's a cheap, easy product, you know, and it draws. Wrestling still draws viewership. Even as minimal as it is, it's going to outdraw the other, you know, syndicates that they can throw on there. This is this is nice, easy, original programming for Sinclair's syndicate stations. But let's not let's not kid ourselves. Ring of Honor rubs them the wrong way or there's a drastic change in this business. They will not hesitate to pull the cord on it. Yeah. Cut off the head of the snake. Uh, Let's talk about some injuries. We've got some injury updates here that I wanted to go through. Uh, Number one, NXT star Dakota Kai has underwent ACL surgery. Uh, That went down yesterday, I believe it was, as we're recording this. Uh, So look for Dakota Kai probably in about six to nine months would be my assumption. Uh, Chris Saban out with a right ACL injury. Uh, undergoing surgery, probably six to nine months. Flip Gordon, some good news finally. Flip Gordon, not a tear. It's an MCL sprain. He will be out for about four weeks and then be reevaluated. Rick, I really, really hope Flip is good to go for that Madison Square Garden show because it looks like he's going to miss Dallas. Yeah, I see. We were talking, you know, last week about this. You know, was it a work? Was it a shoot? Uh, looks like we got something serious here, somewhat serious. And right now, you know, Flip's a hot commodity. Now, just not not just for Ring of Honor, but all of you know professional wrestling. Uh, a lot of attraction behind him. People, you know, fans gravitating towards him. Terrible timing, especially right now with everything going on. You know, in the world of professional wrestling, to lose a talent like this. And as we kind of look at those big names that are going to headline that Super Show. They don't really have that, you know, there was one or two that jump out. So you need all hands on deck uh, to kind of fill in a card like all in where it's top to bottom talent like that, that you're just, you know, you're excited for the show as a whole instead of, you know, those marquees. Hopefully this is also a little bit of a dose of reality to flip Gordon. You are not superhuman. Slow the fuck down. Just throwing that out there. Matt you, think would, you think he would have woken up a little bit when he missed that fucking guardrail a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, man. God, that was a nasty bump. Matt Seidel out with a knee injury, uh, but it doesn't sound like that's anything incredibly serious. He's going to be expected back in March or April. So, but either way, we're not going to hear about William Alicia centering his chi every Friday night at 9 p.m. Uh, this one, Rick, is the big one that I really want to talk to you about because this is scary. Katsutori Shibata is training for a return. 
The quote from the article that I read this, the veteran wrestler has been out ever since suffering a brain injury due to taking a headbutt while dehydrated, despite doctors continuing to say that he'll never be cleared to wrestle again. Shibata is still training for a comeback and pushing forward. Rick, this is close to Chris Benoit territory for me. I don't want to see Shibata wrestle ever again. Well, I know uh, I, I know how you feel about the movement, about the headbutts, brother. Uh, it's something you just want to see just completely go away in professional wrestling. And it, this is this is your this is your standout. This is your argument right here. This is this is edge of your seat television, and not in a good way, because this is going to be every time Shibata takes a bump, is he dead? I don't want to watch that, and I don't want Shibata to do it. But I, I you know look he's at something going to like this. You look at something like this, too, and, and you wonder why and you see this. You see this in all walks of life where someone is just so driven, like they feel like it. that industry and that directive in that industry defines them so much that they're that they're so willing to give you know life life for this thing. Take a step back here, man. It, it's too dangerous. It's not worth it. And there are still are ways that you can contribute to professional wrestling. Yeah. I mean, you're the head of the LA dojo, right? You know, you've, you've got so much to give so much guidance to lend and to make sure that your students going forward, never end up in this position like you are, but we see it everywhere. It's just not professional wrestling. It's just not in sports. It's just not in entertainment. It's, it's in all walks. You know, people think that something defines themselves so much that they're, it's impossible for them to, to walk away from it. This one makes me happy. Finally, it's, a really, we're gonna, it's like a really bad relationship. Finally, we get some good news. Huckleberry, I finally got an update about one of my favorite professional wrestlers. Dicking Time Bomb! Hiromu Takahashi, of course, Daryl's dad, is now, quote, unquote, expected to return! Yay! Uh, it's going to be a long time. It, it, it'll probably be at least a year or so from what I'm hearing, but the status has changed from we're not sure he's ever going to walk again to expected to return. This is good news. This is very good news. I saw pictures of Hiromu the other day. The first pictures I've seen of him not in the freaking hospital out in full LIJ getup being, well, Hiromu. Nice to see. Uh, this one caught my attention as well. Uh, Kitamura. You remember Kitamura? The Japanese Brian Cage? Yeah, that freaking guy. He was in a real bad scooter accident. They thought that uh, he might actually lose his leg, and he was suffering from some terrible atrophy from the entire injury. And given Kitamura's size, that's actually saying something. Uh but Rick, they renewed his contract. We haven't seen Kitamura like most of 2018. He's been out with this injury and there was a lot of talk that there's no way Kitamura is going to return to the ring. Why would New Japan renew his contract? Well, I think, you know, you're just hopeful and you're seeing all these people. Like you said, this guy's got a, an incredible look. Uh, they were very high on him as young line, correct? Oh, I was very high on him. Well, they were as well. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. He they, was in the same class as Kawato. Well, I think, you know, it just shows that, you know, they want to invest in him. And if there's a, if there's a chance you know, that they can capitalize on his fame going forward, that they're all for it. Man, I hope he can come back because he, he really had something special. Uh, the Bludgeon Brothers have been cleared. Rick, we've heard a lot of talk that where the hell is Luke Harper? 
Well, evidently, Luke Harper decided to go have some surgery to get some stuff cleaned up while Rowan was out. So that's why we haven't been seeing Harper. Rowan and Harper now both cleared. We're expecting the Bludgeon Brothers back to TV anytime now. What do you think? Are, are they going to come back and pick up right where they left off and just run through the SmackDown tag division again? You know what? I always think I'm okay with them keeping the tag name just so we don't see a complete you know, one more time, a complete repackaging of them. But please drop the gimmick. Get rid of the, the cheesy hammers. Get rid of the over-the-top outfits and the just lame-ass entrance. I, I'm okay with, and I wish, you just maybe sh- shorten it to the bludgeoning. Especially with War Machine and NXT, man. That gimmick is way too close to what War Machine's doing. Well, I, you, we've got War Machine. You've got the comparisons to Sanity. And now, apparently, we've got a lot of the WWE fans that don't know the difference between heavy machinery and these groups. Well, d- did you see that? WWE actually uh, tweeted out a picture of Otis interrupting a moment of bliss and tagged War Raiders instead of heavy machinery. <laughs> I know. That's what I was kind of getting at. It was uh, if WWE if, uh, doesn't even know the difference. If the if the nerds at dot com don't know what the hell's going on, how do they expect uh, you know the Mark Targs watching at home to know what the hell is happening? Lord Voldemort, uh, Fandango, Deputy Dango, back in the house at the Performance Center, Huckleberry. I'm hoping that this means that I finally get to see the case of the bunny. He's looking at me like, uh huh, yeah. Sure. Would you rather talk about Nikki Bella and John Cena and all that? Man, how about Billy Ray Valentine and his diatribe on the Wednesday? I really would like. I would. I would like to talk talk about that. I'm gonna actually. I I know two stranglers uh, on a little hiatus. I'm gonna see if I can get a spot on there just to come on in and talk a little. Love in the squared circle with Billy Ray. Oh, for the love of Christ. Dolph Ziggler. Uh, sounds like Dolph Ziggler has turned down an offer to become a backstage producer, and he will be leaving at the end of the month. I, I'm guessing they're going to use him for the Rumble just to have him for a body, and that will be the last time that we see Dolph Ziggler. Uh, lots of talk about, oh, Dolph Ziggler's going to AEW. No, he's not. Oh, he's going to New Japan. No, he's not. He's not going to Impact, and he's not going to MLW. The only place that Dolph Ziggler's going is Hollywood to try to make it inside of the movie business and as a stand-up comic. Dolph Ziggler's been with the WWE for over 20 years. He is ready to move on and, and pursue his, his other passions and other creative outlets, and I, I, I wish him the best of luck. So here's what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen. We're, we're sitting at probably about an hour 15 right now. Uh, we're going to throw in uh, part one of the year of Craven. And uh, coming out of that, you're either going to get the close or segment two, because I'm going to go talk to my uh, baby mama and kind of figure out what's going on. If I'm going to go drive in a snowstorm to pick up my oldest daughter. So we'll be right back. Enjoy the interview with Craven. Part one of twelve of the year of crazy. We'll be back. You can take the wood and go nuts. Trying to survive in this life to be no fun. It's so fucked. The rules are rulers of society. A man with his head on is a person that I'm trying to be inside of me. He's inside of me, ready to let go. Make you shiver quiver as I deliver your death blow. From the get go, on a mission to get known. But my name in your mouth has got me ready to explode. It's death row. The way we're waiting to die. So why should I hesitate today? Taking my life with all the hate. I should be taking yours. It's gonna be a dark day, and when it rains, it pours. Now I'm breaking yours, cause I'm dying. 
So this is the first edition of a new segment that we're launching here on the show for 2019. We had an idea to do a feature where we find one independent wrestler and follow his travels all around the globe for a year, hearing his stories, his experiences, and of course about the wrestling. Last year at StarCast All-In Weekend, we had the opportunity to meet this young man, and we thought that he would be the perfect subject for the first year of this feature. So welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. He is the Australian sensation, Craven. Craven, welcome back to the show, man. How you been? Good, man. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be back on the show. So it must be super early for you guys over there because it's kind of late over in Australia. Well, it's it's 8.30 in the morning my time. It's 9.30 Huckleberry's time. We got Huckleberry here with us this go-round. Huckleberry, why don't you say hello to Craven? Well, I was going to say, uh, Mr. Craven, thank you for uh, you know joining us here on this exciting new project that, that we're launching for 2019. I know you know Jargo had the opportunity to, to meet you back at All In in September of 2018. Uh, you've been on the show before, I guess in... I guess it was just bad timing. I haven't had a chance to converse with you. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to be, uh, be a part of this project going forward and, and get to know uh, so much about you. Oh, man, I, lo- I look forward to it. This is going to be fun, and I'm sure that we will cross paths uh, in the future, if not this year, hopefully. So we'll look forward to that. We've got plenty of time to catch up with what you've already missed. So that'll be cool. Oh, it's going to happen. And I got a feeling that it's going to happen May 25th in Las Vegas, Nevada at the MGM Grand. <laughs> very, this is, you know, there's, that is very, very possible because um, that will be the one weekend where I'll be just going as a straight fan again, hopefully, because the state all of them was still the best, one of the best weekends of my life. Like it was just phenomenal. It should have been for any wrestling fan, but definitely for me, it was fantastic. We'll fire up the fire pro. Uh, let's let's go ahead and jump into this, Craven. Uh, the last <laughs> the last time that we talked with you was back in September. Why don't you let the listeners know what you've been up to since then? Um, I've been keeping up with your Facebook and Instagram. You've been an incredibly busy man. Yeah. Um. So when I spoke to you last time, I pretty much just got home from. Uh, I was on the road for about two months straight, and that's where we met, obviously, uh, out in the U.S. In, at the um, StarCast weekend, but I'd been to Mexico and all over the U.S. wrestling, which was fun. Um, I came home and started to do uh, a lot of interstate stuff in Australia, and then I went out to Singapore in October, which was absolutely amazing. Like, uh, it was ridiculous in Singapore. Nothing, excuse me, Nothing could have pre- prepared me for the crowd reaction, just the show over at SBW in Singapore. I, d- I don't know how to compare it. Um, the only thing that I've been told by other workers that have done, excuse me, Singapore and um, PWG is the fans are just comparable as far as their reaction and their passion and the way the whole show is set up, which I'm yet to work PWG. It's on the, it's on the wish list. Um, but yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. Very cool. I guess the one big question that I have for you before we talk about Singapore and Mexico, uh, did you get your Twitter account set up yet? <laughs> I have not. I mean, I've, you're right. I have been busy, and that is just a tiny bit of laziness in there. So I actually, it's really, really funny. So a quick story. Um, over in Starcast weekend, I also met another another chick by the name of Melissa. She was doing a, um, she was doing some podcasts and we've kept in touch on Instagram and stuff. Uh, she's into the gym and, uh, we, we just got on really, really well as friends. 
but she she has I've given her because she gives me feedback on so many things and she loves to talk wrestling like absolutely loves it I've, I've given her the nickname Melissa Meltzer because she literally has a story for every wrestling show or a feedback or a write up so she she's in my she saved in my phone as Melissa Meltzer she asked me the other day she's like Craven are you actually going to ever set up your Twitter account? And I was like, do you know what? You're like the third person to ask me that this week. I should really get onto that. She's like, yeah, it's only been about four months. And I was like, yeah, I need to get onto that. But no, I have not set up my Twitter. As of man yet. With, the man so, with 12,000 yeah. followers on Instagram doesn't have a Twitter account. <laughs> I, need, I need to get onto that. I really do. It's just, I, I am very active on Instagram and not as much on Facebook, but I am active on there as well. And I was just like, man, if I add a Twitter account to this to throw into everything, I'm just, it's just another account that I'm going to have to monitor. Because, I mean, it, it isn't, it's not hard work, as in like hard labor or hard yakka, as we'd say over here in Australia. But being so active on social media is like, a, it's, it's a 24-hour drive. Like, you're always trying to find new content to post to keep it interesting, um, constantly sharing a story, your day, whenever I'm at the gym, training, doing whatever I'm doing, you don't want to just put up the same thing every day because otherwise people are going to get bored. And that's for most independent wrestlers these days, social media is their driving force and it's how we get work essentially. So I don't know. I, I'm a little bit lazy. I will get there. I prom- I, I, let's, let's, how about this? How about we make a little, how about we make a wager ourselves? How about buy double or nothing being the theme of the show in Las Vegas? We'll, we'll have to make a bet along the way, maybe next show, that if I don't have a Twitter account, there'll be some sort of uh, some sort of challenge or repercussions that I'll have to do if we all make it to Vegas together. How about that? Sounds, oh, about, sounds this, fun? This sounds like a tattoo bet in Vegas is what it sounds like to me. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. So we'll, we'll leave it. We'll put that on the back burner. But it's something to think about for the next few shows before – before May. Well, let's go ahead. Let's talk a little bit about Singapore. As you were saying, at the end of October, you made your way there working for SPW in Singapore, facing off against Shahori. I, I'm going to badger this, I'm sure. Shahori Asai. Tell us a little bit about I, Singapore. Yeah, sorry, Asai. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's the popularity of wrestling in Singapore? What's the fan interest like? What's the match style like? Can you compare like just what's going on just between the ropes? Is it more like Mexico? Is it more like Japan? What, what can you compare it to? Look, it's the best way that I can compare it is it's a literally a hybrid of, um, it's a hybrid of American wrestling, but Japanese style in the ring, so to speak. And I haven't wrestled in Japan yet. And I'll leave that there because um, there could be something in development. But the fan base in Singapore is very Americanized. So they they want to see um, they want to see characters and entertainment and psychology, so to speak. They want stories to their matches, and they don't want lucha libre or somewhat. Japanese style matches where they just see spots for the sake of spots. And I say somewhat Japanese style because there has been a bit of a, a shift um, lately, uh, obviously, um, with New Japan becoming so popular over the last, you know, few years, even more so, um, you know, with the with the internet and that really boosting them. Um, but yeah, they want to see characters and stories, but working that show being a crossover show with Land's End in Japan. It was it was different inside the ring. So 
um, there was also the language barrier. Um, Ashori does not speak a word of English at all, only Japanese. And I don't speak a word of Japanese. So it was, it was a challenge and a half, but it was fantastic. It was really, really good fun. What is the language of Singapore? Uh, English, predominantly English in Singapore. Predominantly so English. So there, awesome. there are, yeah, so predominantly English in Singapore. Um, there's, uh, they speak English over there, but there is, uh, there's a variety of languages, whether it's Chinese. Um, I think there's a lot of Chinese heritage there. Um, there's some Japanese that's around. Um, and then, but predominantly English. You, you can, everywhere is there's all English uh, street signs, obviously. Um, most places that you go, they speak English, but there's a lot more. There's some Chinese as well. Interesting. In, addi- in addition to Singapore, you made your way to Mexico in December, uh, working for the Crash Lucha I Libre. Did. Tell us a little bit about your trip back to the Crash uh, and Tijuana and whatever you did in Tijuana that you care to share publicly. Okay, so this this time was this time I actually had last time I went to the crash I was super nervous I was only there for a day in Tijuana I obviously traveled over with um, 450 uh, first time there was real nervous got to the venue super early uh, the auditorium in Tijuana actually has rings backstage like they literally have a couple of wrestling rings backstage which is fantastic for foreigners like me um, because. And there's language barriers, so when you want to work stuff out, so to speak, um, you have a practice ring there, you can grab a translator or whatever, go through your stuff. And I think that's why my first appearance was so was so good, in quotation marks. Like, everyone loved it, because essentially without killing the biz too much, I, I knew exactly where I was going, um, but I wanted to make a good impression. This time round, we got there to... <laughs> So the first time around, I was there for 24 hours, not even. This time around, we got there a full day ahead of schedule. Um, but I wanted to do other stuff like go to the Lucha Libre Museum, which I have a story about that in a minute. Um, the point of the story is I had so much time, but we decided, I oh, know we'll rock up at the venue an hour before the show starts with everybody else. So the match for me this time, I've got feedback that it was better, which makes no sense to me because I only had a match and I did the whole thing with like broken English and Spanish communication. Um, just got essentially just went out there and worked like, and it was fantastic. It was, it was so much fun. Like the crowd was more receptive because they had seen me before. Um, I got, there was, I got some gringo chants, which I believe means the white guy. I don't know if it's an offensive or a good thing, but it's it offensive. Cool. I promise. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but it, it was really weird because I got that, but then I got a whole heap of like photos and um, and uh, like photos and signatures on the way back, and it was like on the way back to the ring, and it was and like there was the coolest thing for me that I remember out of this trip is I was standing in the ring and I was tagging with Jay Rios, um, and Jay Rios can speak English, obviously. Um, because he resides in the U.S. now. And I looked at him, and I'm like, shit. And he's like, you're good? And I was like, there is one of my fucking shirts in Tijuana. And I looked over, I pointed at a fan, and he had a one-time quad T-shirt on. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, that is like the one of the coolest moments for me ever, being an independent wrestler when, you know, 10 years ago, I was elbow-dropping 
you know, off step ladders and out of trees because in Australia pro wrestling was nothing and I just wanted it to be a dream. And fast forward 10, 12 years, and I'm standing in an auditorium in Tijuana with 10,000 people and there's fans wearing my T-shirts. That was surreal for me. So that was really, really cool. That's awesome. Craven, a quick question while yeah. you were down there in Tijuana to, yeah. to step away from to step away from you know the in-ring action. Uh, obviously, you're down there to wrestle, but you happen to be there at the same time that the the migrant caravan was hitting the 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 southern border of the United States. Uh, I know yeah. you might not have been so involved with that, but can you tell us maybe a little bit about how that was affecting the atmosphere there in the area? Um, you know what? I didn't notice it too much. Uh, I was worried. I was worried, obviously, being um, Australian, my passport isn't from the United States, and uh, I was worried about crossing the border back into the U.S. So going into Mexico, if you've ever done it, I don't know if you've ever done it. I've only done it, you know, twice now. It's super oh, I, I've made a couple. I've made a couple runs south of the border before. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's super simple. Coming back in, it's exactly like landing at LAX or... Dallas, Fort Worth, wherever I fly into, um, full formal process and stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I was worried that because I'm not American, I was worried that they were going to give me hassles at the border, but they didn't at all. Um, I crossed the border this time. It was, it was actually super funny because there was all this stuff going on and there was, you know, they were threatening to close the border or whatever. And it was myself, 50, Matt Cross, and Austin Theory. And we it was four in the morning, and we're like, we need to get back to the States. So we're, we're all crossing the border and walking up the ramp to walk back into L.A. Um, Austin Theory turns around, and he's like, I don't have my passport. And I was like, uh-oh. I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, yeah, but he ended up getting through. I think he found it or whatever. But there was a, a brief moment there. I was like, dude, they're like threatening to close the border and you don't have a passport. How are you going to get – what are they going to do, like leave you in Mexico? What, what what do you do in this situation? So I was like – that was like, whoa. But it was it was cool. We all got back through and it was quite easy. But I was worried about it. I'm not going to lie because I was like, I don't even know where the Australian embassy is if they like say, no, you can't go into Mexico, like can't go into the U.S. Wow. So yeah. That's always that, a, that, that'd be quite a trip. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I would have to, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, well, you can't just leave me in Mexico, but I guess, well, I guess, they can do what they want, really. But I was like, all right, going back to the, going back to the club, guys. See you later. I'm just gonna stay here in Mexico. I'm gonna live off twenty bucks for the next three days. So, <laughs> I, I I gotta say, but yeah, while you were down there. Uh, it, this is probably my spot of the year. If you go to Craven's Facebook page, you can find the video of this. You're, you're in a six-man tag, and, and the, your three opponents are standing on the outside of the ring, and your two partners both do a suicide dive. You had a little bit of a different plan. Do you remember that spot? <laughs> okay, so this is this is what I mean by the language barrier. Now... <laughs> That spot was not meant to go like that. So the, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about when I'm like, I just went out there and worked. So it was meant to be dive, dive. Starboy gets back in the ring and we work a spot and then I throw him out. Then I do the big dive over the top, right? Me completely forgetting about all of that, not being able to talk in the ring. All I saw was him getting up in the ring. So my mind was like, no, I'm diving over the top. And you're getting back down. So I just <laughs> kicked him in the face. <laughs> Literally, that spot there is like 
I, I don't know if you can see me actually kicking him in the chest, but that was not meant to go. And then it wasn't till after I kicked him, I was like, oh, yeah, I was not meant to. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I was like, I think lo siento means I'm sorry in Spanish because that's all I was saying. I was like, I'm sorry. Fantastic. But yeah, that was, that was quite funny. It turned out. It turned out quite well, actually. And if you actually watch the clip again, now that I tell you that, you can actually see when I climb up for the um, uh, for the plantra to the outside, you see that him and Rios gets up and Jay Rios feeds around being on my team, knowing full well that no one else is ready to take the big dive yet because it wasn't meant to happen. So they're still on the floor and watch me do the plancher now, like the continuation on video, and you'll see that only two guys speed up for where it's meant to be a pile dive. Um, because I, that's not how that spot was meant to go. But it turned out all right, and I was like, well, this is making the Instagram. Oh, that's absolutely hilarious. I, I, I was going to say that. That's absolutely a, a classic story there. And now, Craven, yeah. we, want to, we want to shake some things up here. You know, why we have access to your magnificent pro wrestling mind. Uh, we thought, you know, as we're on this journey over these next 12 months, you know, we wanted to, to kind of get your take, your insight on some of the biggest news stories from around the world of professional wrestling. And, and now, right now, obviously, there is nothing bigger than all elite wrestling. Uh, you've had Cody and the Bucks, their partners with the cons. Uh, they've come out, you know, they've, they've had some pretty bold statements. You know, they're talking about, uh, you know, insurance, uh, taking care of injured wrestlers, equal opportunity uh, in pay and, and, you know, just advancement in the company. You know, they, they've got the wrestling world abuzz, you know, from someone, an insider like yourself. What what kind of perspective do you have on, you know, this this promotion starting, this startup promotion, this grand adventure that they're going on? What, what kind of, you know, what's your take on all this? Well, I... I can't, I can't be happy. I like it. For guys like myself that want to do this, um, see, I'm a bit different to, I'm a bit, I'm a bit biased when it comes to asking myself rather to than an indie wrestler that works out of the US because, uh, in Australia wrestling, I mean, I wrestled for 10 years for a handshake and a hot dog. You know what I mean? Like literally 10 years. Um, because that's all we got in Australia. That's, Wrestling was never big. It was. It's never something that, you know. So I was happy if I got put on a show, and at the end of the night, we got a thank you very much. You know, here's something to eat after the show. So for me, I'm I'm probably more biased than an independent wrestler from the states. That whether they're a good worker or a bad worker, or they just stick on fucking tights on the weekend and call themselves a pro wrestler, but never even look at the inside of a gym or diet or anything else. We've got words for guys like that, but I'll keep it, you know, I don't have enough time to explain. Um, you can get my vibe on what I'm trying to say with those type of guys. But they, whether they're bad wrestlers, good wrestlers, whatever, they can go out in the U.S. and they can find a show pretty much every weekend if they're willing to travel and probably get themselves 20 to 100 bucks per show. So for me, what I'm trying to say is, is another big company. And I'm talking like a substantial company is what all elite wrestling looks like. It's going to be creates nothing more than, um, opportunity. You know, it just, it just brings the wrestling world alive. And for the love of God, it shows people that you don't have to make it as much as everybody wants to. And do I inspire to be there? Yes, of course which wrestling fan does it, but it shows people that you don't have to make it to Vince McMahon's fed to be something in professional wrestling. I know that's been the case for a long time and 
if you speak to other indie workers or you speak to people inside the business, you know, you don't have to say it in conversation, but you speak to outsiders, and this is what I hate about professional wrestling. They say, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, you know, they come up to me, and they're not talking to me as Craven. They're like, so Luke, what do you do? And I'm like, well, you know, I work for you, but, you know, my passion is professional wrestling. And they're like, oh, like, well, have you ever made it to the WWE? And then you say, well, I said, well, I've had a couple of camps and tryouts and runs, but, yeah, I've never, I've never worked there. And they're like, oh, their conversation just changes because they're like, oh, you haven't made it. Where this shows you, if this becomes big enough, it can show people that you don't have to make it to those three letters to be a professional wrestler. Does that make sense? Makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Perfect sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, I didn't want to go off topic. I'm super excited about that. And I am so, I met the Bucks um, when I did a House of Hardcore show with them a couple of years ago when they were popular, but not what they are now popular. Like, you know, people knew who the Young Bucks were, but you had to do within the wrestling business. And they are two of the nicest guys, like legitimately the nicest guys that you will ever meet. Like it's, well, to me, they were anyway. So I couldn't be happier. I really, really couldn't. I think it's going to set the wrestling world on fire. I believe it's going to bring back some, a a particular name. That's my personal opinion. (laughs) A very straight edge name, which swore that he'd never wrestle again. Um, That's my personal opinion. And I think it's, it's going to tear the house. I reckon. I, I quietly. I reckon that WWE will. You know, they've always bought out their competition. This time, they might be a bit like, well, maybe we we can't buy these guys out because they're probably not interested. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think I think it's great for professional wrestling. Either or, and, and I'm not slandering the WWE. I, I watch their products and I love it, and I've loved it ever since I was a kid. I just believe that it may be another avenue. Um, for guys to work and boost the popularity of our business, which is fantastic. So, yeah. Let's take things back just a little bit here and go back down under. Uh, since you have been back down in Australia, you won yourself a new shiny piece of hardware back in October down there in Perth. Tell us about winning the Southern Hemisphere Wrestling Alliance Championship. I did. Um, I won it uh, at the event called Forever. I wrestled um, a guy by the name of Felix Young, who had held the title for a while. Um, it was it was fantastic. I've uh, that that uh, that title there is quite a um, quite a quite a well known belt, especially around Western Western Australia. It's a very pretty looking belt as well. Um, that match was phenomenal uh, with uh, with Felix. It was great fun. He's a joy to work with in the ring. We had a good storyline build up to it. The fans were super receptive to it. Receptive to it. However, the biggest payoff came in December when I defended that title. Um, I don't know if you saw against uh, one of my. Yeah, he's a very good colleague of mine that I've known for a very long time. He wrestles under Michael the Don Morleone, and that was one match of the year here in WA. Uh, fans voted, um, and it was probably the best time I've had in a ring for. As long as I can remember, it was it was just insane. It was like someone just flipped the switch with both of us, and we just we got to the venue that night, and we said, you know what, we're main event. Let's just go out there and have fun. And then it's like someone flicked a switch on both of us, and we we're just like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Do you want to do this? And we we're like, nothing was out of the um, yeah, 
out of the ordinary or out of the question that night. It was just, it was a phenomenal night. It was really cool. Recently, after retaining your championship, there there seems to be a little issue brewing with yourself and uh, Jeremiah Kingsley and Mark Midas making their presence known. And now it seems as though Kingsley is trying to position himself for an opportunity at your championship. He is. He definitely is. He came out and cut me off last show at the Southern Hemisphere Wrestling Alliance. Um, and after I defended it in a four-way, um, and he came out, and uh, Kingsley is very much um, doesn't know how to speak on a microphone very well. Uh, great wrestler. He's a good wrestler. He's a great worker. So Mark Minus does all his talking, and he told me that, you know, he had to remind me that a long time ago he beat me once, and he believes he deserves a shot at my title. And I just simply smiled and replied and said, well, but since you've done that, what have you actually done? Um, you've pretty much done nothing, which is kind of true. And yeah, I think he took it. I think he took it a little bit to heart. He's a bit mad at me at the moment. He's posting all over social media, saying that everything that happens now is going to be my fault. So yeah, he might need a bit of loving care, that guy. And this weekend, you are going to Queensland and debuting for Viper Pro Wrestling. Looking forward to hearing about that next yeah. month when we talk with you. Do you know what you're going to be doing at VPW? And tell people a little bit about VPW. You know what? Um, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. Uh, this this show, I actually put out on my Instagram the other day. Um, we have, uh, obviously, the first two weekends I was booked in January. I did um, uh, All Action Wrestling. Uh, and then I did the SHWA show last week. And I had a free opening. And I put out on my Instagram, um, yeah, I've got a free weekend. And Viper Pro Wrestling hit me up. They are over the other side of the country. And I said, do you want to come in? I have no idea what I'm doing. All I know is, uh, I'm not sure if you heard of him, he's a quite a standout wrestler in Australia. Adam Brooks is on the show, uh, which uh, I've, I'm really excited about that. I know I'm not doing anything with him, but yeah, he's done stuff like Ring of Honor and Progress and things like that. Uh, very good friends with Buddy Murphy. Um, so it, it'd be really cool to be on that show and probably one of the, hot, the hottest uh, or the most, not not the hottest as far as far as like looks wise. I'm taking it as I'm saying it in a sexual way, even though she is really attractive. But the hottest thing in the Australian Indies, as far as females go, is Indy Hartwell. She's on the show as well. She's a good friend of mine and Tessa's. Should be good to catch up with her um, uh, when I go over to the show. I have no idea what I'm doing, but it should be a good fun time. And I leave for that tomorrow. I actually fly out in the morning. Fantastic. Craven, why don't you tell the people what else you've got coming up for about the next, you know, three, four weeks or so and how to follow you on social media so people can keep up with the dream ride. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, before we go, before, before I go, we do, I do have a, a, a pretty big, pretty big announcement. I'm not sure if you saw this part on social media or on my Facebook, but I was really, really angry after an all action wrestling show after I had their, uh, annual rumble a couple of weeks ago. Uh, sure. was, was this the, the, the Mecca Wolf issue? Yes. So I was in really good position to win the rumble. So all action wrestling has been running for about 11 years. Um, and they have an annual event called anniversary, which is essentially their WrestleMania style event or their wrestle kingdom style event. It's their anniversary show. It's the biggest show of the year. I have never been beaten at anniversary. So currently 10 years in a row, I've never been beaten at that show. The Rumble this year, uh, the winner of that went on to face 
the champion of all action wrestling for a shot at their title anniversary. And I was in a prime position to ring that, win that rumble at that time when all the lights went out and a big wolf howl came over the screen and then Mecca Wolf 450 decided to pop up on the street and told me that he's coming back to Australia and he's, you know, we're blood brothers and we're the best of friends. But ever since he, I beat him a few years ago on that stage, it's consumed him and he's coming back to Australia for that streak. So that's what I was super angry about, and I've just got word that he is coming back. So 450 will be in Australia on March 2nd, and I will be challenging, or he will be challenging me for my streak, but I'll be accepting the challenge and will be wrestling on March 2nd, which I think is super cool. So that will be really cool. That's March 2nd is probably the bigger show that I have coming up. Apart from that, I've got uh, VPW this weekend in Queensland, then... The weekend after that, I'm actually taken off because we have Australia Day on the 26th, which is essentially our Independence Day. Uh, I love that holiday. It's one of my, it's probably my second favorite holiday of the year or third behind Halloween and Christmas. Um, and uh, the weekend after that, I have Explosive Pro Wrestling um, over in Claremont, which will be cool. Um, and then obviously another title defense probably at Soir the weekend after that. So I, I, can't, I need my calendar in front of me. I'm, I'm pretty booked up. But... Probably what I can tell you now will lead up to this once a month is I'll be back in Tijuana on April 12th, and I've just been signed to Freelance Pro Wrestling in Chicago on April 19th. So that'll be pretty cool. Hey, Huckleberry, we may have to make another trip up to the Windy City. I, I was just I was just thinking, you know, it's the Windy City isn't isn't far away for either Jargo or myself. It's just a couple hours drive, so that, yeah. that's that's not out of that's not out of the uh, the realm of possibility. Well, yeah, if we, uh, well, I, I am planning on coming to Vegas as a fan, uh, provided logistics and that uh, fall into place and I don't get any major bookings um, around the time that affect it. Um, obviously, that being a fan trip, that I'll have to pay for it myself. So, obviously, funds depending as well. As you know, independent wrestlers do essentially live week to week. Um, but until they sometimes make it to the super indie scene, but uh, that is my plan to get there. But if not, I will definitely be in Chicago on April 19th um, for freelance pro wrestling, which should be super fun. Uh, Matt Nix contacted me the other day and said, I heard you back at the crash. Are you staying around for a week or so? And I was like, I am. And he's like, we can use it freelance. And I said, don't need to ask me twice because that is a great place to work. Very cool. We look forward to that. We look forward to talking to you next month and see how all these dates are going and how the build to the anniversary show is going. Um, why don't you tell people how to find you on Instagram as well as Facebook so they can keep up with you? Okay, so Facebook is facebook.com slash Australian Sensation. Instagram, because uh, again, probably where I'm most active, uh, my handle is just uh, TAS underscore Craven, T-A-S being for the Australian sensation. Um, and I'll leave this one up to you. Twitter is still pending, but I'll leave you guys to think up of a tattoo bet in Vegas or something that we're going to go down that line that I have to have a Twitter by double or nothing. Oh. So that's up to you and see if we have a Twitter next show or not. It's going to be exciting. You'll get your update next month. Craven, we'll talk to you soon, man. Good luck. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great morning. Well, I have a great night.
So we're back for segment two, which is going to be really, really short. Um, I am going to go pick up my oldest. So so here's what you're going to get for segment two. Huckleberry, uh, let, I want to talk a little bit of WWE just real, real quick. Um, mostly this Finn versus Brock Lesnar thing, uh, because nobody is giving Finn Balor any kind of a chance against Brock Lesnar. I think Finn Balor has a very good chance against Brock Lesnar. What do you think? Well, to me... It- and you said this is going to be very, very short. I can't use This is the question you're going to throw at me and want me to be short. To me, it goes beyond, you know, just going over here. I'm more intrigued in how they present this thing. I mean, we're hearing from so many different angles, you know, insiders, fans, what it might, you know, whatever it might be. They're expecting, oh, Finn has to get destroyed. Well, I don't think that's the case. We've already seen, you know, his Brock's two best matches since returning from, you know, the long hiatus. They have been against a Daniel Bryan and an AJ Styles uh, who are very comparable in many ways to to Finn Balor. Sure, I mean, they have a little more bulk on them, but Finn is shredded out as hell. Uh, I've been hearing in, in the WWE Universe bubble, well, Finn doesn't have the technical prowess of those two. Well, if you can let Finn go back to what he has done around the world uh, in New Japan, uh, his background, uh, he is a, a black belt in, what is it, uh, Taekwondo or a Judo? Judo. Judo. Uh, if he can, if he can tap into those elements of his game, allow those to shine. I think he's going to surprise a lot of individuals. Uh, uses that speed uh, and agility. An overconfident Brock Lesnar. Um, I like the comparison uh, Strangler Steve had put out over in the locker room. You know, go you go to the big Russian and Rocky, where he just kind of punches himself out before before Rocky is able to make that comeback. It's all about how they are going to tell a story and present this thing. I think that you know, even in defeat. You know, in 10 to 12 minutes, uh, Finn Balor can absolutely shine. Look what it did for AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan, even you know where they were at, two WWE champions taking their game to the next level. I think this is definitely could be a, a tremendous moment for Finn, win or lose. And I don't think people, as we're generally seeing, are already sour on this thing. I agree. And I think Finn Balor is going to win. And I think Finn Balor is going to become the champion of the universe not because of Finn Balor, not because Vince McMahon has soured on Seth Rollins, but because I think Brock Lesnar is going to fight Daniel Cormier. We saw video footage just the other day of Brock Lesnar actually wrestling amateur style at the University of Minnesota with the current national champion. I think Lesnar is getting ready to go full on fight camp mode and get ready for Daniel Cormier. I don't know if we're going to have Brock Lesnar come WrestleMania this year. I think what will be very telling, uh, possibly going into Raw this week, how they present Finn, uh, especially if they start kind to allude towards or, um, you know, tease the demon a little bit. I think if he goes demon mode, he has to win. 
Uh, otherwise, you completely destroy any potential with that gimmick uh, going forward. I, I believe it would. Would this be like the first time that the demon's ever lost? Yeah, the demon has not been beat inside of a WWE context. Okay, so there we so it would expose that there. I couldn't even remember because it's been so long since we've seen it. Um, if we see the demon, yeah, and I and I think if he goes over, I almost think you have to do it as the demon on a grander stage like Royal Rumble, where you do pull a larger audience. It being one of the big four, it, it you're going to you're gonna you're gonna put a, a spotlight on what makes professional wrestling so great, and it's the pageantry, the characters, you know, the over the top personas you where you're in awe and the demon gives you that now if you go out there and finn balor the man goes over you're going to have individuals you know some of my buddies that haven't watched in years that might be watching with me to be like holy shit i can beat that guy up they just made that twerk their champ but if it's the demon we got a different story you got a true professional wrestling persona that people can get invested in if we get the man he can go out there and have that good showing maybe some people are kind of like hey man that little guy can go maybe i'll tune in later but in the grand scheme the beast won again. They'll keep rolling with that. Uh, the other tell that I'm getting out of the Brock Lesnar camp is Stipe. Stipe Miocic is uh, taken to social media and he is calling out Daniel Cormier saying that he wants a rematch against Cormier before Cormier retires. So that's telling me Cormier is going to have one more fight. If Cormier is going to have one more fight, that fight's going to be against Brock Lesnar, not Stipe. Because Daniel Cormier wants to make money, and he knows that he'll make more money with Brock Lesnar than he will with Stipe Miocic. The other thing that I think plays into this, Finn Balor signed a five-year deal in 2014. Oh yeah, that means it's up in May. Uh, that's one name that the WWE does not want going to AEW. We talked in the first segment about WWE overpaying talent just to keep them away from another company. Finn Balor is perfect example number one. Well, hey, look at this. If you're trying to prevent people from going to New Japan or All All Elite, Ring of Honor, if you're trying to get them to go to anywhere, those second tiers, and you got someone of, let's say, the, the magnitude of a Kenny Omega, what better selling point? Hey, look who we got main event in the Royal Rumble. We got Finn Balor. We got Daniel Bryan. We got AJ Styles. Those are, those are our championship matches. And then if you could come out of the Rumble, look, look at our universal champ. It's Finn Balor. He, hell, Kenny, he was the original leader of the Bullet Club. Look at who is our WWE champ. The ultimate indie darling, Daniel Bryan. And who's chasing him? It's AJ Styles. I mean, that is a selling point to some of these people that think if I go there, I'm just going to get wasted. I'm not going to be able to, to rise above this perceived glass ceiling. Uh, just kind of run through a couple of highlights here. Um, the moment of bliss segment I thought was awful and I had a whole tirade like thought out about it, but then Gail Kim went on a tirade on the impact press pass yesterday, uh, mostly talking about Scarlett Bordeaux and how there is room inside of a pro wrestling context for both women who can wrestle and women who are beautiful. It was an absolutely wonderful quote. You can find it on our Instagram. If you search HTMPW pod, I clipped it and put it up on there. Thought that was a great quote and, and a really nice way of looking at things. Uh, speaking of the women, Nikki cross makes her debut. I absolutely freaking loved that. I thought they gave her a really nice moment to shine. Uh, Lashley becoming the intercontinental champion. I like that because 
Lashley should be in the mid-card the way that he has been presented thus far. The Intercontinental Championship's a mid-card title. There's no reason Ambrose or Rollins needs to be running around with it. I don't think the Becky Lynch and Asuka thing was nearly as bad as some people do, although I thought that the match between Peyton Royce and Becky was god freaking awful. That thing was fucking garbage from the moment that they hit play on SmackDown. I didn't like any of the backstage. I didn't like any of the in-ring stuff. And there was just so many just small misses there that people aren't even picking up on. If you're trying to present her as a badass... You're doing a piss poor job of it. I thought the worst segment on WWE TV this week was the Mandy Rose and Uso segment with Naomi. Uh, I, I feel like I could talk for an hour about how awful that segment was, regardless of the content of the segment, just the way they shot it and the narrative structure and everything was just freaking awful. Why is a photographer wanting running in to take blackmail pictures when there's a fucking camera in the room broadcasting on national fucking TV? I, it just yeah. it, inside the narrative structure. You weren't supposed to know it was there. It, it, that's what I'm saying. Where's the narrative structure? They have right. none. Well, and it, everything else that we, you know, it, it's they go back and forth. Sometimes there is a camera. Sometimes there isn't. So, you know, pick with one directive, pick with, go with one and, and run with it there. Hey, I really liked it because this thing was just cut abruptly. You got so many people saying it should have been the other Uso to go in and hook up with their, or, you know, or, or give, you know, that feeling that he did. There ain't no way in hell WWE's touching that in a hashtag me too world. Well, let's be honest. And I wish I would have been the, I could take credit for, you know, figuring this out, but we've seen so many people on Twitter. This simply was a publicity stunt for temptation Island. Absolutely. Uh, and that's what it was. And that's, and it, that's why it abruptly ended just a couple of minutes before temptation Island debuted on USA. The other thing that I thought was absolutely hilarious was a lot of WWE fans just ranting and ra- I can't believe she was showing that much skin. It's literally the same fucking outfit that she wrestles in, just it, made it out actually, of lace instead of fucking synthetic rubber. No, actually, her wrestling gear is a little skimpier because it goes a little, it's a little higher ride up in her crotch area. I love that too. Yeah, everyone's like, well, it, well, I hope we never have to subject these women to the days of the bra and panty matches. They're wearing skimpier outfits today than they ever were. They're running out sexier, more exposing pictures on there. Check out the hottest Instagrams of the week. You got total divas where they're just ditzy freaking, you know, party girls, you know, looking for that next big score. I mean, come on here, people open your eyes to what's really going on. And maybe, maybe you already see it, but you're so afraid to, to address the situation that you might be attacked somewhere by these fucking snowflake PC warriors. But get the hell out of here with this thing. I, Jargo, I'm going to, let's just end this. I'm going to go on a high note here, baby. The thing I took away from any WWE programming this week, and I am 100% behind, is Mr. AJ Styles, Mr. America, living the way I want to live, the President Trump way. We're slamming some Big Macs anytime we want, sucking down some ice cold Budweiser, driving around in my, in my fully loaded diesel vehicle, blowing exhaust everywhere. Hell, I'm chucking the shit out the window. I don't care. Let someone else just worry about picking that shit up. Let it, I don't care if it takes a thousand years for, you know, to, for it to take care of itself. This is the America I want to live in. Fuck individuals like Daniel Bryan. This is my America. God bless it. Uh, high note for me. I enjoyed Samoa Joe murdering Mustafa Ali because I don't like Mustafa Ali. Uh, Ray versus Andrade, with the exception of Andrade Cien Almas becoming a gay hairdresser. Props to Huckleberry for coming up with that one. I thought the match was freaking awesome for a TV match. Uh, Happy birthday to the best in the world, Shane McMahon. How about Miz wrestling in a suit? That was pretty awesome. 
A uh, little bit of an editor's note. Next week, we're going to have your Royal Rumble preview. We'll have your TakeOver preview. And I have an interview coming up with a very, very scary individual. His name is Rory Coyle. You can find him on YouTube. He's uh, He's got a couple of screws loose up there, and I want to try to get a little bit into the psychology of what he's got going on. Go check out his YouTube page, guys. There, there's, there's some good stuff. We're going to try to catch us a psycho on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling podcast next week. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then head over to the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com and check out some of our friends like Going Home with Ryan and Michael, Turnbuckle Talk with Joe and Carl, and a whole lot more. Also search Hacker Hameen on your favorite podcast listening device so that you never miss any of the content from RBV and myself over in Locker Room Studios on Mondays. Stay tuned all week for daily content from the likes of Billy Ray Valentine, The Andrew Bellows, Strangler Steve King, Big Gray Hernandez, Ben Hameen, and of course, Big Stevie Cool himself. Be sure to visit our good friends at LastWordOnProWrestling.com daily for all your news from around the world of professional wrestling. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook, Hitting the Marks. Email us, hittingthemarks at gmail.com. Find us Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for an all-new episode of HTM Sports. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. RBV, where do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? You know what? It is Friday, so to hell with social media. If you want to find me, I'm going down to the local watering hole. One of the finest dive bars that I can find here in Cincinnati. I'm going to order up a couple of uh, 22 ounces, a couple shots of, of, of whiskey, and I'm going to get an extra large cut of prime rib with an extra thick slice of fat on that son of a bitch. That's where I'm going to be. That's where you're going to find me. Isn't that the Daniel Bryan special? Yes! 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 Tremendous. Well done, Huckleberry. God, I set you up, man. I lofted that motherfucker up there for you. That's it for this week's show. We'll talk to you Monday over in the locker room. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. You bad guy!
fucked your bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. I'll be your bad guy. Yeah, that way. We'll be so bad.